0: This is Generation Swap. While the world talks about a generation gap,
1: we talk about generational connection. Our guests,
0: we call them swapmates, discuss goals, passions, and values, helping each other figure out life. Keep listening for more.
2: Welcome to Generation Swap. I'm your host, Cindy Camp, and today I am joined by Dr. Doug Kinchy. He's the director of the Kaufman Interfaith Institute at Grand Valley State University and by Kyle Coyers, the associate director of the Kaufman Interfaith Institute. So delighted to have both of you here today.
1: Thank you, Cindy. Thanks, Cindy.
2: Uh, right off the bat, we'd love to hear about your life story. So um, mm. either one of you can go ahead and jump in.
0: I suggest Kyle start, because mine might go way too long. (laughs)
2: Okay. (laughs) Well, then we'll ask Kyle to start. Yeah, Yeah.
1: thanks so much, Cindy. So I am a native of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I really consider western Pennsylvania to be my home. Uh, It's where I grew up, and uh, for a number of years after graduating college, worked as an AmeriCorps VISTA addressing uh, food insecurity in The what I like to consider the northern periphery of Appalachia, so southwestern Pennsylvania, northern West Virginia. Um, That work, to me, combined with my training to that point in ministry, really kind of illumined the importance of bringing diverse populations around the table to address systemic inequities and to really uh, work together to find creative solutions for really, really difficult problems, namely generational poverty in a place that was Um, kind of left awry by the old coal industry, connected to steel, not so much electric. Um, And in the course of that time, really kind of felt the call to go to seminary. Uh, So uh, after looking around and pursuing some options, I landed at Calvin Theological Seminary here in Grand Rapids, where in the last year of my four-year study, crossed paths with Doug and became involved in interfaith work, which I guess looking backwards on the trajectory of my life is sort of no surprise. Although at the time, uh, interfaith engagement seemed like something totally out of left field. It wasn't something that I was ever really considering or um, didn't really have an inclination towards again, other than realizing that you kind of need everybody around the table to to make movement in a community. So to that degree, again, it was very consistent. And so since around 2016, I've been working Kaufman and doing a lot of community engagement in a different way than I have in the past. Uh, And recently, um, the Presbyterian Church USA has recognized that work that I do as what they call validated ministry. So I am formally ordained in the Presbyterian Church to my work with Kaufman and then sort of volunteer on the side as. I guess, volunteer staff at Westminster Presbyterian Church. So in some circles I go by Reverend, but most times I, I drop the, the title and the collar for a bow tie and just Kyle.
2: I noticed that it wasn't on the website, your, That's right. your, no. you know, Reverend title. Very so, selective
1: yeah. as to when it comes out,
2: yeah. yes. Well, and then Dr. Kinshi tell us about yourself.
0: Well, uh, I'll try to keep it short, but um, I, I studied uh, in – at Holton College, a very conservative uh, Wesleyan college, because I was raised by a Wesleyan pastor, very conservative. Uh, but I also had a chance to hear Carl Karl Barth lecture at Princeton. And then when I went to the University of Chicago, my major was mathematics, but I minored in philosophy and physics. And so when I went to the University of Chicago, Paul Tillich had just arrived, another big name in 20th century theology, and I sat in one of his classes, and one thing led to another, I transferred over to Divinity School for a couple of years. So I had a little bit of Divinity School, not as much as, as Kyle did, but then I went back to mathematics and completed that, but did another graduate minor for, in my doctorate program in, in philosophy. So I had the philosophy and some theology, and then when I came to Grand Valley 46 years ago, Uh, I became the dean of science uh, for over 20 years. And so I tried to put the two together and did science and religion. These are two ways of thinking that seem to be in conflict, but if you work at it, you can find resonance between them. And so I did a number of science and religion things. And then when I left the dean's office and taught for a while, then when the university founded the Kaufman Interfaith Institute, the president said, well, you did science and religion, you must know something about religion. Would you be the founding director? So I said, sure, why not? I thought I was making a, a, a shift in my career direction, but then I realized interfaith is different religions, people that have different ideas about what is true, just like science and religion. But if you dig deeply, you can find a resonance there. So I put it all together and said, I'm in the worldview dialogue business so oh. science and religion and now between the various faiths
2: I love that and your philosophy as well I know that there's a humanist group that's involved at
0: Kaufman and true. so
2: your philosophical studies as well fit right in
0: and it's a good base for theology also yeah.
2: Now, I always like to ask how old you are, so our listeners can picture who, who you are at this table. Kyle?
1: I am 33, though I did throw out my back this last summer, so feeling <laughs> a bit older this winter season.
0: 33. I'm Doug? 81 and still working. Oh, I love it. Still full-time? <laughs> yep.
2: Wow. That's wonderful. Um, so the work at Kaufman draws on the strengths of religious and cultural pluralism here in Grand Rapids, and it celebrates the wide diversity of traditions that we have in this town. Would you talk about a successful project that you've worked together on?
0: Well, I think because we work together, director and associate director, uh, and because there's the generation difference uh, there are projects that we work at. We kind of inherited a Jewish-Christian dialogue that had been started in Muskegon from Sylvia Kaufman, uh, who, for whom the, the institute is named. And um, she had a lot of contacts, and I had a lot of contacts because of my background. And so one of the, this Jewish-Christian dialogue, which happened every three years, became the Jewish-Christian-Muslim dialogue when it came to Grand Valley. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of something that happens every year, and Sylvia is interested in who the speaker is going to be. She has lots of connections, and I have quite a few connections. So one of the things that we've worked together on, I think, quite successfully, is that I'll work with her and with other contacts to decide who the speakers are going to be, because we, for the triennial dialogue, we bring in a Jewish, Christian, and Muslim speaker, and then when we get that all done and get everybody happy there, then Kyle takes it over and takes care of all the logistics, and that's great. This last fall, we had an an example of that where we decided to do something a little different because of COVID and how things had changed, and so we identified uh, a group from Israel and a group from Afghanistan, music groups, that came in and would be more appealing to the younger crowd. And so we once we got them identified, Kyle took over and made sure everything got done. And that's, I think, the way we're working more and more together.
2: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Kyle, anything to add?
1: Yeah, no, I would just say that, you know, again, Doug brings to the table a lot of very, very impressive contacts and certainly a foot in the academic world that gives so many of our event spaces credibility uh, and standing within the university, but then also in the, the wider community and with our neighbor universities that Doug said that we partner with for those, uh, for those lectures and those events. For me, it's always, you know, how do we create the most representation in any given space? And how do we lift up, um, you know, gatekeepers and wisdom holders from a variety of identity groups uh, within or outside of the Abrahamic traditions? And so, uh, again, in addition to working with faculty and staff from neighboring universities, looking to college students to offer those workshops, uh, looking to community members that are really advancing great justice work in our community to connect what they're doing to the topic at hand. And then, as Doug said, you know, this past fall, we had a really rich concert dialogue experience where we had this group Yama from Israel and Heart of Afghanistan uh, who actually a number of the, the members of that family ensemble had recently been airlifted out of Kabul. So, wow. <laughs> um, so in addition to the power of these two very different groups performing together on stage for the first time, we also reached out to uh, a number of our friends that do refugee resettlement work in the community. And I attend regularly a meeting called Freedom Flight which consists of all of the social service agencies, the, the county, the city, anybody who's involved in refugee resettlement work, big or small, and said, hey, we have this going on, and we know that there are there is a need for specifically the, uh, the Afghan community to hear Dari and Pashto spoken because that, that, those languages just aren't prevalent at all here in West Michigan. And here's this group that is going to be singing in their mother tongue And we had such a beautiful turnout of refugees, refugee families, foster families, and such a high number of young people who were just on their feet, cheering, clapping, singing along. There was clearly a deep resonance with what that event was bringing to the fore. So, yeah, I mean, people gained a ton of appreciative knowledge and and cultural appreciation of these two traditions like what a service we are able to do in conjunction with these organizations that are already doing incredible work where beyond providing sort of the basic necessities, we're able to elevate something of a people's culture. Uh, there's also, I'll just say, um, there's a, a great document called the Kent County Welcome Plan, uh, which is um, a lot of research done among immigrant and refugee communities around what they're looking for as they're making Grand Rapids their new home. And of the top five priorities, two of them are the ability to practice and exercise my own religious beliefs, practices, customs, but also the ability of the wider community to hold f- space for that and understand my religious identity, practice, beliefs, customs. And, and with an event like that, kind of tick off both. So it was a really special time.
2: And we've welcomed a lot of Afghan families here in Grand Rapids over the past year. So what a beautiful way to um, yeah, to make that welcome even more robust. Yeah. So we start out talking about something that's a, a real success. But then, you know, as we know, so often in life, things can be difficult. And that isn't always bad because we learn a lot from things that are harder, mm-hmm. our struggles. Um, I'd love to hear something about a... A project you've worked on, an activity that even um, whether you would consider it something that didn't come off well, something that's still in progress where you've had to really struggle to try to accomplish something?
1: Well, the first thing I'll share in response to this is I owe Doug a lot of credit for mentoring me in this area because failure is not a bad thing. You know, if if we evolve out of failure, if we learn, I think it can be a very instructive tool. Uh, Negligence is a bad thing. Underpreparedness is a bad thing. But when something doesn't go well because it was the wrong season or we didn't have the right community partner or the venue was bad or the weather, you know, whatever it might be, we're no strangers to failure. And I think we kind of embrace it around the office because we place a very high value on experimentation and innovation. And with that comes some shortcomings. Um, I will tell you, in the summer of 2017, we had a major flop. Um, we got this audacious idea to offer a day camp for middle schoolers and high schoolers where we would take them around to uh, different religious sites, to different service providers. And we had the most wonderful committee of people from around the community committed to youth and bringing youth together across cultures, across worldview traditions. And we planned and planned and planned and had this beautiful camp ready to go. And with a week before the start, we only had one student registered. We had done no marketing on this camp. <laughs> and so we, we had to call it. Um, and I will say that that one student has been with us every year since. But we changed the time of the camp because we recognized that early August was not a good time to do much with middle schoolers or high schoolers. So we moved it to middle to late June. And we got out ahead of promotion the next year a lot earlier, having pretty much copy and pasted our program. And now we're year three, four of a youth interfaith service day camp that has also um, given birth to a really thriving middle school and high school interfaith leadership program that's co-curricular through the academic year. Uh, So, again, you live and learn. I mean, I've read a... Yeah. it's so
2: interesting because my boys did participate in one of your summer programs and i didn't know about the year when you only had one student sign up oh yeah the it was year, crash
1: yeah. and burn big
2: time <laughs> so you learned <laughs> but, you retooled. I mean,
1: uh, ibu patel has a book out called building the interfaith youth movement and in it he talks about this experimentation with high school students for a little bit and it didn't work the first time, and they sort of left it and decided to focus on college students. And so I'm so very proud that despite this outright failure of the 2017 summer, we were able to to rebound and give it another go and have immense success. We had 21 students um, that first summer that we did it from a multiplicity of not only like ethnic, racial, religious backgrounds, but also just in terms of country of origin, I mean, to have native West Michiganders going around to these different sites with students who are themselves refugees, it makes for some very interesting conversations around equity and and access.
2: I know the year that my boys participated, they I think the day they loved the most was the day that they went to the mosque because they also got to go to the grocery store next door, mm-hmm. the you know the Arab or uh, mm-hmm. Muslim affiliated grocery store. They loved that experience. So yeah,
1: which only happened because we got the schedule wrong and we needed <laughs> we needed to eat up time. So they like necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> I mean that's right. true for any of our programs. So yeah.
2: yeah. Doug, anything to add about things that have been well, hard?
0: N- not to that necessarily because that was something that Kyle and the other staff, uh, Zahabia, put together. You said failures or works in progress. I yeah. would identify a work in progress because having created this baby called Kauffman Interfaith Institute, the work in process for me is how to withdraw. Now, the youth thing was something that was easy. I said, you guys know that population better than I do. You go ahead and do what you have to do. And I stayed out of it completely. And I don't think if I'd been there, I'd done any better. They knew what they were doing and they learned from it. But my problems is, is withdrawing from, from active involvement when you created something. And part of it is exacerbated by the 28 years that I served as Dean at Grand Valley because Grand Valley was on the growth spurt. From 5,000 to 25,000 when I left the dean's office. It seemed like everything we did worked out well. And, uh, but when you start something like the Kaufman Institute and then you get to be 80 and you say, it's time to step back a little bit, it's, it's becomes an emotional challenge for me. But it's a work in progress. I'm working on it. I don't think it'll be a failure, but it might just take a little while.
2: It's very impressive to me that you're still fully uh, working there at 81 and still so engaged in all these different activities. But, yeah, I suppose even for you, eventually some retirement will be in your future.
0: Well, a part, of, part of it is the, is the history. You know, I, I look at history of interfaith in this community. It goes back to the 1980s. The 1980s is when the Interfaith Dialogue Association was created. One of the very big events was the Interfaith Thanksgiving and then a few months after, the very first one in 2000 was 9-11. And within a few hours, they pulled together the, the connections that they had made in the interfaith Thanksgiving, and they had 800 people out to the, the Cathedral of St. Andrews to, to, to process what that is. So the history of, of interfaith here and also in Muskegon, where the Kaufmans lived, that goes back to the... the Jewish synagogue there celebrating their 100th anniversary in 1988. So there's a history of over 40 years, and I, I'm connected with that history because these are this is my generation that's involved with that. And, um, and so I'm kind of keeping track of the tradition, and Kyle is moving ahead with the future, and, and we work together quite well.
2: Yeah, I, I want to ask you to just tell us all the different groups that were involved in this year's Thanksgiving service. I was there, and it was beautiful.
0: We obviously
1: had the Jewish community represented through Temple Emmanuel in a number of ways, but also Shir Shalom, the the Grand Rapids Jewish Choir. We had uh, Masjid al-Tawid, which is one of the largest mosques in Grand Rapids. We had the Grand Rapids Buddhist Temple, the West Michigan Hindu Temple. We had Michigan Humanists. Uh, We had West Michigan Jewels of Africa. We had our... our, um, the Grand River Band of Odawa Indians was there as well, uh, offering us a, a native perspective, which is much needed in an interfaith Thanksgiving setting. And then let's see who's Or even sick. one or two Christians there. That's yeah. right. Well, you know, it's funny, in this year's celebration, we had a hard time finding a Christian, which is the first time I think that ever happened. So we ended up with, Christian Bracato <laughs> from yeah. St. Mark's. So right. yeah. Mark's illness was difficult this yeah. this year so we had some last minute substitutions so we were expecting Denise Kingdom Greer who's currently pastoring at Mars Hill but uh, whatever bug was going around got the best of her yeah. so um, yeah it, but it is really an incredible event of the community coming together and a big shout out to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints they've just been so supportive of that event and are usually in the background Helping with a lot of operational pieces, and I want to give a shout out to the Catholic Information Center and the Cathedral of Saint Andrew, who the day of helped bail us out with some last minute program printing because our numbers shot way up the weekend before, and we did not have enough programs printed through Grand Valley.
2: Well, let's let's. I'm going to focus on uh, you know the fact that you do have over 40 years that separate the two of you. And so with Doug in the second half of life, Kyle still in the first half, in what ways has your working relationship at Kaufman been strengthened by your differences in age and life experience?
1: There's a lot to glean from a Doug Kinshi. <laughs> not just in terms of working with diverse populations, although I think that that's a big part of it, but so much of what I've learned from Doug has to do with leading people and navigating institutions uh, when you work at a place like Grand Valley State University, there's no shortage of red tape when you're trying to do things, and especially when you're trying to do things that are maybe a little bit outside of the mold of what operationally the university is used to doing. Like, we're an odd duck there. Uh, there aren't too many things that look like the Kauffman Interfaith Institute uh, around Grand Valley. So learning how to use proper channels, learning how to, to leverage relationships, that's been incredibly helpful. And then just in terms of how to navigate a staff, I mean, as Doug mentioned, he was a dean for 28 years. So managing people is something that comes quite naturally to him and being able to, to just sort of, uh, yeah, sit at the feet of the master, so to speak, and, uh, and learn how to better motivate and empower people to do what needs to be done so that our programming successful, that's been a huge learning curve for me.
0: And for me, the huge learning has been the social media and all the technology. I finally just have given up. And I said, I'm not going to do Facebook. I'm not going to do Twitter. I'm not going to do I don't even know the names of the other ones. I said, you guys handle it. Uh, leave me out and uh, now and then they'll help me do something but I just have decided that's one area that I can pass on right away yeah Mm -hmm.
2: well it's good to draw on each other's strengths and I know at Kauffman you're obviously interfaith but I think also this intergenerational component is important whether you're talking about the day camp kids and the youth leadership program um, all the way up to folks who are retired in Grand Rapids but very much involved in in your work Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah success Exciting to kind of think about those contrasts.
1: Yeah, the other thing I'll add to that, Cindy, if I may, is that in this work, especially where you have individuals that have been, individuals and in communities that have been deeply invested in this work for decades, I don't know, the work itself kind of almost feels congregational in nature in that change and innovation can be tough. Uh, it's often like, you know, I, I like the analogy of turning a battleship with an oar, right? But in this work, I've really learn from doug ways in which you honor the past even as you look to the future you have to bring people along with you even as you're looking to to pursue experimentation and innovation and and really kind of massively even overhaul things so the interfaith thanksgiving has been one area where i have time and time again, gone back to Doug, because again, that's a committee that I am new to. They have been meeting for 24 years uh, and to convene that group and to to figure out ways of, again, bringing that event into a space where we're recognizing everything that comes with the word Thanksgiving, uh, where we're trying to broaden who's there and represented, where we're trying to Make sure that each tradition only has one representation. You know, this is it can be it can be sticky work. So Doug's taught me a lot in terms of navigating personalities as well.
0: When you the religions we're dealing with go back centuries, millennia, and most of them still practice a lot of things that's in the tradition. I mean, in our church, we say that. Reads frequently, uh, other churches, you know, they have uh, every Sunday they have the Eucharist. You know, these traditions are important, but you can't be stuck in in them, and you can't do them only because that's the way we've always done it. There has to be some meaning that, that that ties you to that. But so the tradition is important, and I'm I'm there pointing that out every now and then. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, I'm also wondering if there's any situations where the differences that you share, I mean, or that, that divide you in terms of age and different backgrounds, if those have um, really proved challenging and how you've been able to work through those. It sounds like you've developed a, a very successful working relationship, but I'm guessing there have been times when it has been hard to navigate this. Any situation that you can think of where you had to, to use some good uh, problem-solving skills to make things work?
1: Yeah, and I think Doug's welcomed me into a place where I understand sustainability a little bit different. I think one of the most freeing and helpful pieces of advice that Doug has offered several times over the years that we've worked together is you don't maintain something just for the sake of maintaining it. You know, we're not in the business of self-preservation. And so it's okay for events, initiatives, projects, uh, gatherings and convenings to have a life cycle right there's energy at the beginning there's good work that happens and things just kind of naturally fizzle out and that's okay um, for a number of reasons Kaufman, with great success really leans into where the energy and resources are in the community and in order to do that and continue doing that well it means we kind of have to hold things loosely allowing myself to let something go and let something come to an end. It's very counterintuitive to our culture, especially cultures of millennials like myself. Uh, We want to see new startups happen and thrive and last, and we defend the brand until our dying breath, right? And that's just not the spaces that we inhabit or create. Uh, It's okay if things naturally come to a conclusion, and then something new can be born
2: guess that's good advice and good thinking to have about any organization, but especially one as organic as Kauffman here in Grand Rapids, and is still relatively new. Mm-hmm.
0: But the religions have a, a wonderful history. I had a discussion once when people were trying to say, well, let's just talk about spirituality in general. I says, wait a minute. There's something about the narrative of the Exodus, going from slavery to freedom, that has had impact on our history for literally thousands of years. It was such an important part of the civil rights movement. The slaves would sing, you know, let my people go. Uh, that's an important thing. And don't forget the, the narrative of death and resurrection that the Christian tradition has. That's been very valuable in keeping people grounded when it looks like everything was death-oriented. And don't forget the, the, the narrative of, of the Islam, of, of going from pride to submission, the importance of submission. You know, these, these narratives are very important, and let's not lose them while we see other ways of doing things. So there, it needs to be both. So a question um, I want to just really
2: dig into mentorship yet before right. we wrap up, because the two of you clearly have a beautiful mentoring kind of relationship, what we would call a swapmate mate relationship here, because we don't think that it's so much a top down thing. You know, the term mentor implies a certain structure, but we think it's a very mutual kind of relationship that people share. Clearly, the two of you have both gained so much from each other. So wondering if you can talk about just the value of mentoring, whether within your own relationship or mentoring in
0: general. Mentoring is very important to me because I can look at my various stages of life. In every college I was at, the university I was at, the jobs I've been at, I've had mentors everywhere. I don't think we ever necessarily use that line, but I always had someone that was usually a generation beyond me that that I learned from, and I was anxious to to be around. And and some of those mentors are still friends of mine. They are wonderful. An example that this community knows is Don Lubbers. I worked with Don Lubbers when he was president of Grand Valley for 25 years. Our careers overlapped while I was dean. We're still friends. We're
2: what did he teach you? What, what what did you gain from your relationship with him? Oh,
0: I, it, it's. Is this an hour and a half show? It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot, huh? <laughs> uh, I think I learned from him that, that there's no one way to do things. He was very good at delegating and saying, you know, do it what you have to do, and if you get in trouble, I'll let you know. I remember in one of my first conversations, he says, we're building a university here. The road getting there is very wide, and you do what you have to do, and if you get in the ditch, I'll let you know. That was my job description, and I, I had so much freedom. It was so wonderful, and uh, and he was just really good at, at encouraging, and and I, I would say he was a mentor friend. You know, he was one that I could push back with and say, well, I don't think we should do it that way, and in, anyway, it, it has maintained itself. Uh, uh just had a long lunch with him uh, just the other day. Um, you know, we're, we're still friends, and I can go back and tell you professors and people in my career that, that have been been mentors to me so i i just very much believe in this yeah mm-hmm. kyle what are you yeah
1: thinking? and i two examples of i think that the the don lubber's wisdom that has been passed on from doug through me the the first of which is that idea of follow where the energy is right go where the resources are um, as I often refer to Doug as an ardent opportunist. An <laughs> um, ardent opportunist? opportunist yes. Um, so if there's an opportunity to do something new, because again, there's energy there, there's, there may be funding there, there's some interest in the community broadly, take it, you know, why not? And the other piece too, uh, we say this in reference to like our interfaith council, to the Thanksgiving, et cetera. Nothing started without committed individuals, but things are maintained well by committed institutions and so making sure that there's, there's grounding from congregations and organizations that we work with where we are on their radar and not just interested parties therein. For me personally, I think Doug's, Doug's relationship to me is, is something that I think has had a huge impact, both personally and professionally. I mean, Doug and I cross paths in a very official way through Presbyterian church Happenings. Doug was a part of what what we call the Committee on Preparation for Ministry, which is essentially a group of very thoughtful and discerning folks at the congregational level that help you determine if you are actually called to uh, to ordained ministry in the Presbyterian Church. Like that was our first face to face interaction was that interview and conversation. Doug heard me talk about this this draw not to pulpit ministry but to really creative community engagement. Again, coming out of my Americorps work and. That was sort of the, the and, light bulb moment for interfaith.
0: And I remember that meeting because I, Kyle expressed a little bit of concern about whether his creativity would fit in the church setting. And so I said, let's get together later <laughs> after the committee meeting. We got together, and I said, because my own experience was, I learned, because my, my doctorate's in mathematics— and most significant mathematics is done by people in their 20s. I mean, Einstein did his E equals MC squared when he was 21 years old. You know, And you look at uh, and mathematics is one of those fields where you peak real early. And so when I hit 30, I decided that's when I went into administration. And I decided my creativity would not be in the field of mathematics, but would be in institution building. And Grand Valley gave me this wonderful opportunity to do that for, like I said, 46 years now. But... Um, uh, Don Lover's version of, of uh, find the opportunity was pick the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, and and he was he taught me to be how to be an opportunist. You know, we didn't do strategic plans back then, and there was some talk when we got started that we should have a strategic plan. And I said this was after we had been around for a little while. I says if we had a strategic plan, we never could have envisioned what we're doing now. We are what we are now because we. I didn't use this term. We picked the low-hanging fruit. We looked for opportunities when they came. We grabbed them and ran with them. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but it's a fun way to develop things. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so I would just say, again, like Doug's investment in me on a personal level. So there's the church world, there's the work world, and then there's just like Doug and Barb and Caitlin and I go on double dates together, right? You know. And it's really lovely to have this this almost intimate relationship and that's yet still very boundaried and professional, but deeply caring and invested. And I feel like that is something that then uh, enables me to kind of turn and have the same kind of interaction with the rest of the staff, because if we're committed to interfaith and cross-cultural understanding and relationship building, that's got to happen with the, the cluster of folks who are trying to convene the wider community to make that happen. So the closeness of our staff, I think, is is largely due to the investment that that Doug's had with me.
0: My wife, when she she was taken by Kyle, also, and so she went up to one time and says, you, "Is your grandmother living?" And Kyle said, "No." She said, "I'm going to be your adopted grandmother," <laughs> and so that we've had that, like I said, couples relationship as well. But after I, I talked with Kyle, I says, "What are you doing to support yourself at at?" Uh, at the seminary, and he's like, I'm working for maintenance. I says, tell me how much they pay you, and I'll pay you more. So he started, <laughs> working. He started working at the Kaufman Institute while a student, part-time, making more than maintenance would pay. Wow. And that grew into then be- becoming a program, ma- a, I think a coordinator to begin with, and yeah. a program manager, and then a couple of years ago as the associate director.
2: So you really developed this from an early stage when you saw the the potential in when, Kyle. When yeah. I saw
0: that desire for creativity and mm-hmm. I related it to my own and wow. how that worked itself out in a field different than the one I trained for, I said, there's a way for you, for you to do that, so come in. Mm-hmm and work with us for a while. Well,
2: I've wanted to talk with the two of you together for some time because I know that you have a, an especially close and, and really um, very generative relationship that I think all of Grand Rapids has benefited from and what you've been able to do at Kauffman. Uh, before we close, any other thoughts? Anything else you wanna add?
0: Well, I
1: will just feel welcome to edit this out and post, but I just think, you know, hearing Doug talk about the strategic plan, when we talk about generational rubs like that, because I'm somebody who needs the job to I need the marching orders. I like to know what we want to have accomplished in five years. Org and, charts, right? Yeah, exactly. Give me an org it's just chart. Like, <laughs> that's not Doug Kinchy. But what's interesting there, the meat in the middle has been sort of this development of what I like to call a narrative identity. So when we talk about what Kaufman is, who we exist for, what we do, that's all born out of stories, stories that originate 20, 30 years ago and continue on through what's happening today. And that creates, you know, what we call in the Christian community, a telos. It gives us a direction into which we're heading into the future. It grounds us, but it doesn't limit us.
2: Well, I'm so pleased that the two of you have spent time with me today. Um, again, thank you to Dr. Doug Kinchy, director of the Kaufman Interfaith Institute, and to Kyle Coyers, who's associate director. Um, it's been my great honor and, and privilege to talk with both of you tonight. Generation Swap is a production of the Aquinas College Advantage Center. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts or at generationswap.com. Our career and connections expert is Dr. Dana Hebriard. Our producer is John Griffin, and our social media coordinator is Alexandra Stephenson. I'm Cindy Camp, Generation Swap creator. Thank you for spending time with us today. We're looking forward to swapping stories with you again soon.